This is Strange Assembly episode 229 for Honor and Glory. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Mike Cook. Hey. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming and Legend of the Five Rings podcast. You can find us on the web at strangeassembly.com, or check out and subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app or the Google Play Music Store. Now, we are recording this right after... PAX Unplugged, and the next episode will be a PAX Unplugged episode, and uh, we're very aware that there was the first Grand Cote at PAX Unplugged, and that will be talked about, but today, for this episode, we are going to try to limit ourselves specifically to looking at the cards in the first two Dynasty packs, which for me did not exist until Sunday at PAX Unplugged after the conclusion of the Grand Cote because the Grand Cote did not have either of these legal. Uh, even though they had they had come out, they they weren't... There's like an 11-day lead time for the big events before a set becomes legal. So don't worry, we will get to that. But today, Mike and I are going to go look at the Tears of Amaterasu cards and the For Honor and Glory cards. And because both of those packs are out, and because both of those are already legal for a- anything, I don't. I'm, there's no tournament that's about to happen where where they're not legal. So we're just gonna take all the cards of the two packs together instead of trying to break it up by which pack which card came from. In the tradition of our uh, corset review packs, we're just gonna break these up by you know neutral cards and then by by faction. So we will uh, kick it off with the provinces. And these are, I, I think it's fair to say that any new province is a big deal. I, I guess any new playable province is a big deal, you think, Mike? Yeah. And you start to have a couple of things with these cards. I think that we'll see throughout these Dynasty packs and more in the next Dynasty packs, which is... Well, one, there's you're going to get to see the restricted deck building things, right? Cards that are restricted by both aspects of your role, whether or not you're Seeker or Keeper, what your element is, but then also cards that could affect deck construction or are the, you, the value of them is really influenced by how you construct your deck. And therefore, along with new provinces and those kind of cards, I think really ups the ante for the importance of having a good knowledge of the card pool and having a good knowledge of what sort of cards your opponent might be playing based on what you see, right? We're we're now going to be past the stage where every single deck of a clan has all of the same cards. They may have many of the same still, and we're going to really briskly, I think, be moving past the stage where there's just the two provinces of an element for you to worry about and you know one of them is generally considered much better so you probably don't have to worry about the other things where you can look at like well there's one province i haven't seen yet so i know it's meditations on the dow because i know they're playing with that but i know they're not going to put it on their stronghold so it's got to be in that one that i didn't get 
I, I, I haven't uh, seen yet. Uh, it's going to be much harder to do that, I think. Well, out of the uh, first two packs, Earth is now the only one that doesn't have three possible ones. Three possible provinces. Which I'm sure will change by pack three. Yeah, Earth is the only one that doesn't have three. Of course, if you, when you're looking at a particular opponent, that opponent may still only have the two options. You know, yes, there's a third neutral fire province, but if your opponent is not in a keeper role, then it doesn't matter, uh, right? Uh, if he is in a keeper role, the uh, blood of Onatongu is seeker role only. Yes, sorry, I, I can't read, apparently. I mean, the, the card's literally sitting here in front of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yes, so blood of Onatongu is seeker only. So this, I think, exemplifies both of the things I was talking about, right? It's seeker only, so it's restricted, so there's a deck building restriction. But also, right, during con- the ability is during conflicts at this province, each player cannot spend fate from his or her fate pool. So that's both players. Now, attackers, I, I think, are much more likely to be using fate, uh, right? You don't get a lot of playing conflict characters on defense. You get some. But it it seems to be more exciting to do on the attack. You know, you send one person in, and they have to decide whether or not to to block your you know your two, and then you're like, oh well, okay, Adeptus Shadows will come in as well. But if you are just building a a random deck, do you want to go with Blood of Onatongu, or or do you really want to sit down and look at your cards and be like, what do I want to play on defense? For example. I'm using a Dragon Splash with Miramoto's Fury. Blood of Honotongu kills my Splash card now. I would think that running something like that, a defensive card that costs Fate, would make you want to not play a Blood of Honotongu, but or, or do you think it's a potent enough way to shut down attackers that you'd be willing to risk that anyway? Well, I think... As a fire, it probably has the best chance of all of these provinces of getting in, because fire's probably the weakest slot overall. This ability... If you had this ability with the four province strength, I would very seriously consider running this. Having it have this this ability with a three strength, I just... I don't think this ability is good enough to just give it only that much strength. Like, I, I don't quite... I don't know, I guess I just don't get it. I don't think I would really run this very much. Very frequently. I'm unenthusiastic about it, despite the fact that I get to run two Fire Provinces. Although I'm certainly not going to take Restoration of Balance out for it, because, man, that... My opinion of Restoration of Balance just keeps going up. Uh... <laughs> right. And you're already you're already restricted to Seeker, which means... There's a good chance you don't even get to really consider this. Crane, Dragon, and Scorpion are right now and for the next year are the three clans who can run this. And Scorpion is already playing with Adept of Shadows. And I I know, like I said, okay, Fate gets spent, you know, conflict characters are more about attack overall, I think, but... Part of the point of Adept of Shadows is that you could play it all over the place, and you shut down your own Adepts here, as well as, you know, things like calling in favors. Gosh, you shut off Noble Sacrifice, you shut off I Can Swim, you shut off calling in favors. 
there's a lot of cards that you shut off by playing this province on the defense. I personally at least want to really look at what my deck is doing and is this something where I really want to? Because some things like Noble Sacrifice, I mean, there's a reasonable chance you'll have an opportunity to play that outside of that particular conflict anyway. Sure. Uh, but there are other things that are only in there. So the other side, sort of, of is Tears of Amaterasu, which is the keeper-only shrine. So, right, this... or. Amaterasu and Onatongu, those are both shrines. Uh, and that's the sun and the moon for those not steeped in the the lore of, of L5R. And Tears of Amaterasu has what seems to me like a really neat ability, but the void slot is the powerhouse. Right. And also it's like it's a one only. So, I mean, like this is a pretty decent ability. But for it being once only versus that for the void slot, I don't, I don't know that this makes the cut. Yeah, especially since you only might get to use it once, and then it doesn't even have the deterrent effect of attacking again. It's it's one that does not super scare your opponent, and at the same time doesn't stop them from like it doesn't super scare them the first time, and it doesn't stop them from attacking again. I mean, right. you you do have the possibility of you know, getting handed three fate or something, but it's usually going to be one, maybe two. I'd probably, not not probably, I'd rather have Shameful Display or Pilgrimage, I think, than this. Yeah. And then we have Frostbitten Crossing. Uh, this is our first element-restricted province, not by, by the element of your role. Obviously, they all have their own elements. And... I don't like this one. I feel like it's a. I feel like it says ha 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 dragon. Well, guess what? I'm crane and we're air, so I. I'm, this is very likely going into my deck. Yeah, because everybody everybody is playing if nothing else the free uh, attachments, and this is not when it's revealed. It's just during a conflict in this province. Choose somebody, discard each attachment on that character. The only thing about this is this is like right it, they don't know when they're attacking into it and you typically are not going to load you're not going to load up attachments on a character before you go in there's just no reason to so this will mostly be more of a preventative measure rather than actually getting all that many attachments but that's fine like that, that's all it really needs to do a lot of times that's probably going to be worth a card or a void which is uh, a card or a fate, which is basically what uh, it's competing against. And it does have the possibility of just nuking something. Yeah, like often attachments are put on in the battle, but if you have, as my, you know, the dragon may do from time to time, you have somebody with two attachments swinging in, that's right there, a, a big nuke. Yeah. And in that situation against me, you have the because the defender will get the first action, you can knock them off before the player would get the chance to uh, to use the stronghold ability to to increase it by two. And it actually knocks off the attachments, so ancestral's not going to trigger. Correct. It's really good. And so you are you you're literally the only ones who have the option to use this right now. Yep. Right. There's there is no keeper of air. There's just the seeker of air. So this is a crane only card, effectively. I think we run this in clan holding, uh, clan province. Yeah, 
I would run this too, at least. I mean, maybe testing won't bear right. it out. I mean, I know I'm a little bit biased here because I'm like the attachment faction. But uh, I mean, even if this gets one card, that's still like really big, especially if it's something they had to pay for. Yeah. Of course, I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, really, what this is probably going to do, and so this makes it a little bit. It's either going to deter them from playing, or they're going to be on their second uh, second turn with somebody who attacked previously, and they attached something to it previously. We'll attack into this, and then we'll lose whatever they attach to it. And so then the the final province which is not restricted in any way beyond the usual element. It's a water province. Is riot in the streets for strength. During a conflict at this province, if you control three or more participating Bushi characters, choose a participating character and bow that character. Uh, I don't know. Does Lion really want to run this? Because uh, like, they seem like the only people who may be unicorn. I don't think... That's just too high of a price. Yeah, so... Lion are the clan that would want to run all Bushi. I, you could look at this and be like, okay, so this is a Lion clan province, at least right now. I mean, even the Crab, I think, have enough different stuff in there that they usually don't end up with that. But you also have to be defending with three guys. Yeah, and three Bushi characters. There's enough useful characters that are not Bushi that, you know, I could see this regularly being like, well, I have to have three guys out and they have to have this keyword. Like, most of my guys have it, but you know, there's always going to be the ones where you have the quarter instead of the pushy. You have to have three of them out, they have to all be ready, and you have to be willing to spend all three of them. I mean, presumably you're going to win this fight, because you're going to bow down their best character, but, I mean, you're already defending with three guys. Yeah. Now, here, here's my question to you. If this were two or more participating Bushi characters, do you think this would be playable? Because that's what, that's what I'm... Like, if it was one or more than, I mean, if it was just one, then, yeah, this would probably be way too good. Two feels like it would be closer to where I would consider it. Water's also a really good province. The, well, the, the, well, the problem is that it's competing with Rally to the Cause, which sometimes just wins the game. Right. Yeah, I've seen it win so many games. I feel like Riot in the Streets is not really playable at the moment. Yeah, I mean, maybe if there's something where you get more free token spud guys, and then Lion can use it as a really good defensive card, so that they can uh, convert a whole bunch of people who have, like, military or whatever. They're like, well, how many people I'm really going to actually send to this province? And they can hold them back in case you go to this province. So that was our four new provinces. So I guess, we're, I guess we don't think that Riot in the Streets is really going to have uh, an impact. But the other ones... You know they're they're going to be out there. They're going to be new things to consider. I I guess Frostbitten Crossing is really restricted to the crane. I guess Blood of Onatongu is the one. Although neither of us is that enthused about it, it's the one that's most likely to have you run into it, and go oh crud. And I I say more likely because everyone or not everyone at least three clans can use it instead of one. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I like I don't think the three that can can run it are really going to run it. But who knows. Yeah. So there's also one new neutral dynasty card, which is the Imperial Holding. So Imperial Holdings are a theme here. I We have the Muwaku Kabe. This is kind of reminiscent of the Crab Borderlands holding, in that it's it's sort of like sort of a, a temporary defense in one place. Uh although in this case like it, it comes back. I think Crab probably wanna run this and nobody else. 
because the interrupt is not if this holdings province is broken. It's when this holdings province is broken. So if it flips up in a broken province, it just goes away and doesn't give you anything. Yes, it's a dead it's a dead flip. You discard it at the end of the turn because it's in a broken province. Right, and that's likely if you have a broken province, that's when you don't need a dead flip. The I mean, the other thing is like, are you willing to lose to sort of lose one of your provinces? as far as production goes, just to boost the strength of it. I mean, that's... Borderlands was... Like, that's kind of the trade you're making with Borderlands, but at mm-hmm. least with the Borderlands, you get to move it to wherever it is that they're attacking. They can't... They cannot avoid it, uh, at least not the one time. Right, well, and because this is limit one per deck, you can't even make sure that it's somewhere they have to attack. Like, they could just go to another province. Or if that one's the you know, plus five for whatever they want to do, then maybe they will go to this one, but this is still not as good as the uh, the Earth. If this flips up in one of the Earths, uh, I guess they're not probably taking that province anytime soon. And especially with, you know, you know me, I like my holdings, but I, my holdings tend to blow up and go away. If you're playing a deck like Crab that has lots of holdings in it, when you lock this up with a holding and you've only got three, that increases the chance you get one of those nightmare flops where you've got, right. like, three holdings. Well, and I, like I said in a previous episode, uh, I've really turned around on holdings as well, especially because I realized how many people is good to run out of your conflict deck, and so then that really helps to alleviate the pressure on all of your flips needing to be, you know, actually have uh, three guys at least, probably. Every flip, so flipping two and two is it's typically fine because the holdings are probably not going to stick around because they're going to get whatever benefit they give you and then they'll go away and become whatever else you need them or you know other chance at a guy. But this, yeah, I, I just I don't know that this is going to get run. Maybe there will be something that lets it get run later, but I don't think so now. Yeah, that would be my initial inclination with my total lack of playing with these cards because I've been doing the core set environment for Vax Unplugged. So that's the only dynasty neutral card. Then we've got Goblin Sneak. As the I'm sorry, no. Let me do these in the official fantasy flight order of the cheapest things first. So policy debate because it costs zero, zero cost conflict card. Hey, it's a political duel. Yes, I mean you know I'm gonna like it. I see. Yeah, like if anyone is gonna play a political duel, you would think Crane. Although I'm pretty sure that just anyone can play a political duel if they yes. want. You know, do, do you have people who have lots of politics in your deck? Uh, yeah, just, you know, a couple. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I still, even with this and the Dueling Blade, which we'll get to later, I don't think this is enough yet to really even include this in my deck, but I could see this being potentially a piece of it. It's, it's like the Investigator, right? You're You're trading a resource, the Investigator trades a fate, this is trading a card to get whatever your opponent's most relevant card is out of their hand right now. Right. Well, you're you're probably trading a card in some honor, although maybe not. I mean, you actually get to choose... Well, at uh, least a card. I mean... Right. You're going to bully pick on somebody. Or, or I guess you could be like, oh, here, take any card from my hand. Here's my hand. Uh, give me, like, three or four honor, whatever your bid is, because I'm just going to bid one. How well that works is more significant for the I'm trying to make a dueling honor deck or sort of something. Right now, there isn't much cause for having a 
dueling deck. I mean, we've we've got a little bit more. I think right, I think we get a second card that references like that it matters that you're a duelist, but for the most part, it, it's really just two. But it it doesn't. Yeah. Anyways. No, did we get? A, I thought there already was one, and we were getting a second one. Or well, the seal of the crane gives you. Oh uh, well, it, yeah, but it, it doesn't care if you have it. It just gives it Correct. to you. Correct. Correct. The biggest draws on this are, I, I would think, and this is appropriate, I guess, for a political card. Right, Crane and Scorpion have clan champions that, right out of the gate, can rock this card. Yes, and cheating a little bit just from the things that have been in the official previews, we're each getting a new, unique, big person that is also going to rock this card. Yeah, what, five politics each? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, five is a lot. Yeah, six is enough that, I mean, there's there's almost no one you can't bully down at that point if you're willing to, to lose a little honor, and there's lots of, and there's still, and there's a healthy chunk of people that you can bully down even if you're not willing to lose honor. Right, well, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, uh, I mean, there's a couple things there, right? Number one, this doesn't have to be during a particular conflict type. Number two, you don't have to be attacking or defending. Number three, you get to choose the targets, so yeah. you can just have a 1-3 that's defending a military or whatever, and they're probably going to have somebody who has, like, a 1 or a 0, and you're just going to be able to win that duel for, like, 1. Yeah. 2-0. You're probably going to do 2. If you're up by 3, and you bid 3, you're guaranteed to win. Now, you're probably going to lose honor at that point, because they're probably picking 1, but, right. you know, you can, you can, yeah, you can bid a 2, and then you'll probably lose 1. And they'll win, and and that's enough. Even if they go to the five, then there's a tie, and you're like, "Wow, I just got three honor, and you lost three for this card. That's fantastic." Uh, (laughs) You're you're ecstatic with that result. Yes. So then, moving up to one cost neutral, we have Finger of Jade, zero zero, but you can blow up the Finger of Jade to cancel the effects of a tar a card that targets the attached character. So this is relatively weak negation. Yeah. The other negation cards that we've seen, like the the two that exist, the two main ones that exist, and then the one that's coming, that's been previewed and, and is coming down the line, is it Censure? They're free. They have conditions, but they don't cost fate. This costs fate. It's an enormous deal that your opponent knows it's there. I don't know that this says sacrifice this attachment, cancel those effects, so much as it says this character cannot be targeted. Yeah, well, I mean, I do think it's important, obviously, if it just said uh, event, then this would be completely unplayable. But the fact that it's actually any card ability is actually pretty nice, but I still don't... Is anybody actually playing with the uh, the crane attachment that makes it so you can't be targeted with uh, events? Above question? Above question. I, I don't think I've seen... I did. No, I've never seen that uh, in a tournament. And I, I don't think... This is, like, better and worse than that, so it's probably kind of on par-ish. And I, I just... Yeah, I just don't think it. you really want to do this. Unless... I don't. Maybe if you're making a mega attachment, like, crab or dragon guy, you could maybe throw this on right now. Well, yeah, I mean, Dragon does like to have an attachment, like have attachments, so you could have one. I mean, and it's... But with, with giving it no skill, you would think it would be zero cost, or that it would give you some kind of skill. I mean, if it gave you a skill, too, 
it is a potent effect. I mean, if I... Right, there's a lot of times when... If I've got that one big Yakuni out there, like, it's a huge deal if he gets shut down by something. Although, right. note that this only does card effects, so it cannot stop ring effects. True. So, it will not stop that, uh, you know, the ring of water, ring of water. or whatever from bowing the guy down. Man, we are we are slow at going through these cards. Okay. The last Sorry. neutral card is... Gotten, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not a tag on you. I'm just looking at the recording time. So the last neutral card is Goblin Sneak. And so this is the... We now officially have a Shadowlands card, right? Yep. It costs two, and it steals one from your opponent and puts it on this. So effectively that is like you spend two, your opponent spends one. Uh, so you that's kind of like this guy is free and comes in with a fate on him. I think he costs one, and he comes in with a fate on him. Normally, putting a fate on a character costs one. So that's right. what I mean. I mean, like, he effectively is zero, and then you have to pay the one for the fate. Is kind of how I'm thinking about him. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, half it, one does the other. It, yeah, 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 it's the same thing. I mean, you it, you net pay one, and, and you get this guy for a couple of turns. I mean, of course, which is probably no one would want that. But, like, right. the fact that you could bring in it as a conflict and, like, they save that one fate that they need and you're like, you know what? Let me uh, take that one fate that you saved for the conflict phase away from you. Going from one fate to no fate in the conflict phase is enormous. Yeah. It is. I still don't... I still don't know how to evaluate this character, to be honest, though, because it's still... Like, you're really not getting much for what you're doing. Like, really, if you're doing this, you're really just doing it to get the fade out of their pool. Yeah, I mean, if you well, if you just got the fade out of your pool, it would not be, right? I mean, you would never, I don't think you'd ever play with a card that said, like, cost two, your opponent loses a fate. Well, right, but if this was cost one, your opponent loses a fate, I don't think you play that either. Because that's a card for a fate. A card, like, in a fate for a fate. That it's always a disadvantaged trade in raw terms, mm-hmm. but the fact that you get to choose when you play it, I mean, it's its kind of, and this isn't, I, I know this is a bit of an extreme example, but it's kind of like crab, right? It's like way of the crab. Well, I play a card and I lose a character and you lose a character, so it's always just a card disadvantage for me. Now, there's no such thing as a fate that's one fate and a fate that's five fate or something that for economy purposes, but there could be leveraged situations where I have three fate and I know I don't have any particular need for the three fate and you've got one and me losing one is much less of a deal than, than you losing one. Yeah. Now this is two. You have to have two set aside. Presumably you don't want to drain your own self down of fate. So I think it's got some potential, but it's not an, it's not enormous. You still have to, you still got to get the leverage situation to really, get your your bang out of it. And, you know, it's not something you want to be drawing multiples of. Well, I I think this guy works really... Here's my thing with him, is, at least for games that I play, I tend to... I do accumulate... I accumulate fate until the end of the game a lot of times. Like, I'll just end up with one or two left over every round. You know, and it kind of builds up a little bit. So I feel like if I was facing somebody who was playing this, I would really not want to see him, like, the first turn maybe two but 
also, you're having to leave two fade up to play this guy. And typically, you don't want to leave that down because he's not really going to defend a province, I don't think. I guess he could if you throw a fan on him or a bonsai and then he takes a province, but, you know. He's just, yeah, providing a little extra oomph as far as his attack go. It is not the same as, I pay three and drop my three-skill covert character. Ha <laughs> Right, well, I mean, even at this cost, right, Shadow of Adept is a 2-2, you can bounce back into your hand. You're playing him because you think you can leverage the Fate Steal. That's right, what no, I'm absolutely. Playing. I mean, that's yeah. it. So then we have Crab. The Crab are sitting here in a keeper role, so they're they're actually they're sort of short a card. But their first card is Karata District, which I think is an autoplay. I know that this is worse than calling in favors in that they have to give me the fate, but God I, I hate stability looking at it. Somehow in my mind when I read this of the first time I thought that was like at this province. No, it's not during a battle. It's not or sorry, it's not during a conflict. It's not at this province. It's just I attach something and I'll take that. Unlike like calling in favors, you're that it's perfectly you're perfectly happy to say play that and just take their two strength thing. Like, okay, I'll take your fine katana. Four four swing. That works. That's worth a fate. This you're probably gonna be less enthusiastic because now it's a two fate swing. Right, but I think that there's there there are still enough non-zero attachments. I would definitely play with this and try it. The, yes, g- giving an opponent one fate is pretty gigantic, but the fact that you can do it from anywhere, I don't know. It feels like it would be neutral sum. Maybe it's actually a positive sum though. Like I feel like I would uh, that fate would be. Well, but they do have to have multiple ways in their hand to actually do something with that fate, right? Like, hopefully you're you're buying something that actually costs them something. Yes, you can even you can even do cutesy things like your Phoenix opponent pacifies your Hita Kasada. You Karata District the pacifism, you get to attach it to an eligible character you control. Oh, I attach it to this 0-0 scout that I have here, and then I throw him in the fire. Right. That's true. Pretty sure you're going to be excited about that steal. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no doubt so, about that. But yeah, so I, I mean, my my inclination would be to slot this in and keep it in until it doesn't bear its weight. I mean, you only get one of them, so it's not like right. you're going to have a whole bunch of them exactly uh, showing up. Now I don't know how long it stays in play. I mean, because partially while it's sitting at al- sitting there, it also just says your opponent may not play attachments. <laughs> But it's also like, please attack this district. You need to attack this district. Then we have Staunch Hida. So two cost dynasty, two military skill, great defensive ability after, and this is a dynasty, yeah, so we're a dynasty character here, so you can't surprise your opponent with it. But it's it's like the Crab Clan province. You win the conflict as the defender, you get the ring effect, including the magic words, as if you were the attacking player. Yep. That seems pretty solid. Yeah, it seems pretty decent. The um, the stats are obviously less than ideal for this, and she cannot use her disability on political, which I think is something that has to be considered. But I would still probably run her as like a two of, because she's going to be good against most decks. 
you do have to succeed at the defense. So even I mean, if she had a zero, obviously that would be better, mm-hmm. unless she got into a political in, into a policy debate. But <laughs> but you're going to have a much harder time. But there's one of the the interesting things is like if you're attacking and you're losing, and you know you're not going to be able to break, you could spend resources to try to claim the ring, but you kind of you're right. You have to think about it because well, it's either I get the ring or nothing. But you throw in something like the staunch Hida, you've really denied your opponent that it's a it's a powerful ability on the stronghold and it's a powerful ability on her. I mean, there's I think there's a good cause for why she does not have good stats. You mean, you mean to the go with this ability? Yeah. Sorry, what did I? You said stronghold. Oh yes, the province, not the stronghold. Yes. But but at the same point, you you already have the holding. I mean, the God, you already have the province. <laughs> you already have the province. How how many times do you need this effect? I mean, I guess the answer is like as many times as you could get it. But <laughs> I think she's good. I'm just a little hesitant to say like she's great or anything. Like I said, I probably put her in as like a one or two of because her ability really only needs to happen like once. Well, these stack, right? I mean, if you defend with her at the clan province and you win, you get it twice. Yeah. Because this doesn't say resolve the ring effect instead of the attacking player. It just says resolve the ring effect as if you were the attacker. Heck, if you defend and win with two of her... Two of them, you get three of them. If you you had two of them and at the province, I mean, that's pretty improbable. Just two of them would be nice enough, but... Well, is it though? Because there's a good chance they're going for your stronghold. And that's probably where that province is. If they go for your stronghold and you win, and like I, I did have a game where I I ended up winning, but at at PAX Unplugged where I must have attacked my I attacked my opponent's stronghold at least three times and did not break it. Yep. I so I was like this is the most stronghold attacks I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so the other dynasty card that the crab has is Stoic Magistrate, and this is one of the ones I was talking about like you've got deck deck construction becomes a big thing. While this character is defending, each character with printed cost two or lower does not count its skill towards the resolution of the conflict. So, I don't know, maybe I'm overstating how much deck building there is around this. Because this guy is just, he just sits out there and just tells your opponent, like, look, this guy's here, you may as well not even attack with your weenies. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I like him. I think he's a pretty good design, but I don't think he's not with. I don't think he's without counterplay. Because, like, if I send my one one cost weenie or my one two cost weenie at your province, do you defend with your three cost guy? I mean, probably. But then I got your three cost guy out of the way with my two cost guy. Yeah, and if you if you send your one lone two cost guy, then you're defending. You you're playing with stoic magistrate instead of intimidating Hida or. The Haruma who does not bow. I'm Statfast Guardian. There you go. The one who does not get you know can't get bowed or sent home. You don't get many three cost characters out in a turn. No, certainly not more than two, and even you right. not that. I have to say though, I I find his flavor text painful. <laughs> God, well, I I, yeah. I think I think Lion hates this guy. And he's a good lion counter for Crab, and that's probably why they put him in. Like I said, I don't think he's bad. I just... Uh, he's decent. Now, the Pathfinder Blade... 
This is Seeker only, so sorry, Crab, you can't actually use this card. But it's an Influence 1, so anybody can use it. It's a free attachment. Free, yes, we like free. And it does have a stat bonus. Now, you have to blow it up to use its ability. But shutting down a province trigger, that can be huge. It's so gigantic. Pathfinder Blade just like, <laughs> I laugh at you, shameful display. Now you're just easy. Yes, shameful display, sure. But no, it's, oh, hey, look, I'm going to go attack the Dragon Stronghold, and I get to keep these five cards. Yes, yes, right. I, I try not to be, I would constantly be about the Dragon, but yes. No, but it, uh, that, and, uh, that and the one that switches types. Rally the Cause. Yeah, yep. Rally the Cause. Those are the two that this, like, just stops. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be happy to have your zero-cost card shut those down. Even the Unicorn Province, you just don't allow it to blow itself up, and you get to keep your guy, and your guy's probably going to take the province anyways, because it's two. Because <laughs> it's a two. Yes, it does. It It's just really good, and it's... I mean, you, you have to be splashing crab, so it has to be analyzed within that context, because it's got... It does have this weirdness of, yeah, you can't use your own card. Even with an influence of one, this is a pretty good, like, I take a couple levies, I take, like, three copies of this and something else. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to go back and look at and and reanalyze the crab card, because they did have a number of their attractive splashes have that whole I'm three influence thing, but this thing is great. I would love to work this into my deck somehow. I mean, I also continue to have a love affair going on with Spyglass, so there's that. But... Okay, then the final crab card is Raise the Alarm. So this is the one that lets you, uh, you're defending and you get to charge somebody in out on the defense as for free. I think this card is really good. Maybe it's just me, but like the thing that stops charge from really being good at that is that it actually costs you a fate. This costs you nothing. It costs you nothing, and it has the possibility of hitting even if you butt out your guys. And if you've got a funeral pyre, you bring somebody out and defend, they successfully defend, you throw them on the pyre and get your card back. Or even if they don't successfully defend. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think this is pretty quality. I don't know if you run the full playset. I think I would probably be more like two instead of three. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I I was going to say, I mean, you're crab, so if you're have more of a possibility, I guess, than anybody of missing on flipping on a face, flipping up a card. But still, yeah, quality. Okay, so on to Crane. Uh, I guess we'd have Kabuki Hero first. You want to introduce these guys? Kabuki Hero. So two cost, two political skill, zero military, but spend a fate. It gets plus military, X military, where X is equal to its political uh, politics skill. Yeah, so I throw a fan on this guy, and for one more cost, he's a 4-4. Is that something that you're willing to invest in, in a guy who can be assassinated, given your otherwise relatively, you know, pretty quality options that Crane already have? I think so. I mean, a 2 for an 0-2 is certainly not, like, the best ever, and you're right, the cost to... But if I ever really got worried about that, number one, you know, it's the Crane, we have cancels. Like, that's just kind of what we do right now. Number two, if I really worried about it, I could just slap a above question on him. 
Like, I, I just, I think this guy is really uh, quite good. Didn't we establish that you're not playing with the Bob question? <laughs> if it blanks out their uh, assassination for this guy, I I might consider putting it in. Hmm. How about the uh, the Doji representative? I mean, we know how much I like Move Home. So Doji representative, cost three for a one three two glory during conflict. Move this character home. Yeah. I mean, yes. I I don't know though because cost three is a lot. This is a very good ability, being able to say, "Oh no, this is not going well. I'm going to move home." And the glory two means he becomes. A very potent attacker if you can get him honored, which is, you know, your crane. Sure. At the same point, this cost level, obviously, is, its challenger is probably much better than this. But I don't know that the other three costers compare as well to this. Okay, so is there any point to the seal cards? We've hit the first one, Seal of the Crane. I look at these and kind of go like, yeah, no. Yeah, no. I mean, it is it is a free second plus uh, uh, f- second free plus one bonus skill. I don't think that's enough to do it though. And maybe if no. you care about the duelist trait, maybe you care about crane clan symbol. I mean, it lets you play your way of. But then this has to be on a conflict character. Oh well, I guess you could put it on a neutral character, neutral dynasty. I don't think any of these do enough. No. I mean, with the Phoenix one, like, gives you scholar. Yeah. Woo! Okay. So, disdainful remark. Keeper role only, so you cannot play it. Yeah, I'm I'm super happy about that. By, uh, meaning not happy. (laughs) So, this is courtier specific, so Scorpion would be the natural place to go, except they're also Seeker. So, who else will run enough courtiers to use this? I mean, most clans, if not every clan, can. Uh, Maybe Phoenix or Phoenix Keepers? The Phoenix are the Keepers of Water, the Crabs are the Keepers of Earth, Lion are Keepers of Fire, and Unicorn are Keepers of Void. So those are the four that can use it. But, I mean, this is... Like, a lot of the times, this is going to be, I defend with a courtier, I play this, you cannot break. Right. On the other hand, it does not help you win the conflict. No. So, there are definitely stronger... uh, There already exist stronger cards for the one fate that can hopefully just be like, you win. You know, it can help your opponent who's built up that big hand for that stronghold deck, and I get plus eight... (laughs) <laughs> yep. So I I don't know, but it, yeah, the fact that it's in right, you're you're playing in a clan with a lower courtier count, and I don't know if and you have to be you know doing crane as your splash, and this has to be what you're choosing. It is a low cost, at least for that, and you you have extra because you're a keeper. Yeah, you have extra, and it's a one. But still, like I don't think your crab are playing enough courtiers by default to justify it? Maybe if they get a whole bunch of um, Yasuki. Well, I mean, they may at some point in the future. I The lion might be? I mean, you could be running uh, enough of the... I, I don't know. I know. Uh, the, right now, I, I don't think anybody runs this. Yeah, I I don't think so either right now. If, like, if Crane and Scorpion just were in seeker roles, this would be such a stronger card. Yep. 
So this could be one of those things where, you know, a year from now, this goes from being uh, eh to whoo. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, probably a lot of cars between here and there, too. Yeah. Uh, and then Kikita Blade, if you want to be good at both hitting people with a sword and engaging in policy debates. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that this makes the cut right now, but it seems pretty good. This really is a I am playing a dueling deck card. And I am doing something with honor. Well, well I guess you I mean, everybody I don't, wants I don't, to gain I don't, honor. Right, yeah, you, you don't really have to try and do an honor victory or anything, and I, this is certainly not going to accelerate you there, because it's not going to stay in play all that long. But, yeah, it's probably more like, oh, I get to assassinate another time. It could just let you do a, a lot of nifty things with dueling, but like Crane, it's not like you have a shortage of good targets for policy debate anyway, right. so this just lets you get even more my like it's like it's a little bonus added on to something that's primarily a military boost but if you're not going to be like if you, you're if you're not playing with policy debate what <laughs> i don't yeah. think you'd run this just to gain the honor off i mean i guess you could put it on your guy who has a built-in duel uh except i don't know if you even want to win with him <laughs> or the attachment that gives you a duel i think this is more like i can throw this on my kikita challenger and then also beat you in politics and just look that much cooler. It's doji. It's doji. Oh, it is doji, isn't it? Yes. It's really weird. To, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Anyways. So then we have dragon, and there's so there's got, we've got one dragon dynasty card so far, which we can skip because it's a dynasty card that does not match the role, so it's unplayable. It will not, it cannot Northern Wall Sensei, just put it in your binder. Can't be played. I'm sorry, that's not the only one. I've just got my cards mixed up. There's because there's also Kitsuki Yuruma, so this is uh, our a, a biggie for us cost wise because it's four. He can't be fiery madness. That's a bonus. So primarily a political character. Two four for four, and when he enters play, you get to flip an unbroken province face down. The presumed purpose of which being to then force your opponent to trigger the when revealed ability again. Yeah. I'm going to make a prediction. I think maybe you run one of this guy. I think that there is going to come some point in time when he does something really nifty. But you have to be playing with the right things. I mean, it, and, and especially given that your opponent knows it's there. Yeah. So it's pretty potent to flip on Rally the Cause, I think, because... It's hard for your opponent to play around that. They really then have to send kind of a double team force. It's not like they can send politics at it and on a military because then you can just choose not to trigger it. I mean, I would think the other thing that it would be the most potent on potential you would think of would be the Dragon Province, but it's not really, right? Because the province is probably on your stronghold. Then you're paying four for two four to try to defend that stronghold, and they're probably already their hand's probably already gone if you successfully put it. I, I don't know. I don't put it on my stronghold. For me, at least, I found that hands tend to be more drained. Somebody, somebody has gotten low on honor, and then the bids go down as they try to to choke the opponent out or something. But I, I mean, the obvious target is the dragon province, and I guess if it's on the stronghold, if it's on the stronghold, they don't have a choice but to attack it again. But like you said, you that right. has to be they 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 would already have to have attacked your stronghold, 
failed, and then you have the the resources to bring this guy out. If it's on a normal province, you just attack somewhere else. But that's not bad though, because yeah. the the dragon province, if they don't if they don't break restoration of balance the first time, it's easy to break because it's a three, and there's no cost to just attacking again, so it just gets hammered. Yuruma says that I now have a reason, uh, like I like now I can make that dangerous again. Either you have to make sure that you have to play so that you're under five cards in hand, or you have to go somewhere else. Like it frees up a soft target. Now I'm going to make you run into something else that does have an ability that's relevant. But that's also a narrow effect. Like, I mean, if, if, if Yuruma comes up early on, just a 2-4 for 4, I mean, he does have courtesy, too. Yeah. Like I said, I think this guy is a decent one of, because he's that effect that you can get it once, and it will be really good. And a lot of other times, you're probably just going to discard him out of the province. It lets you build up courtiers if you want more courtiers. So over in... In conflict land, there's high kick. Ha! So there's definitely a lot of monk cards coming in this cycle for the dragon. Like monks are definitely getting a lot of things. This is this is the first one. It will not be the only one. But right now it's pay one, bow my monk, and bow bow your opponent's character, and they cannot trigger abilities. That last part is is real because right, most of these abilities can be used triggered. You can even do Right, sneaky things like move in characters that are already bowed so you can activate their abilities. And there are certainly a lot of... Uh, not a lot. I mean, there are certainly cheap monks, right? I mean, your your ideal thing is like, I bow, I defend, and bow my defending Tagashi Initiate, who's a 1-1. And now I shut down whatever your giant character over there is, is now shut down. Unless this gets cancelled, in which case you've spent a fate and a card and bowed your character for nothing. <laughs> I can't imagine there's enough monks right now for this to actually be good. I don't know. Where are you planning on running it? No. Because I'm not running the monks right now. It, I think it's right. waiting to see what happens with the monks. Yeah. So, then, this is not a monk card, but it... So there's Jade Masterpiece... This costs a fate, gives you a, a political skill, and it, you bow it to move a fate from one unclaimed ring to another unclaimed ring. So I like this. I mean, it has to make it in, but because really what you're doing, I think, like you're attaching it, and then your default thing is going to be to just immediately use it to move a fate from an unclaimed ring onto whatever ring it was that you were going to attack on. Or you make them choose, hey, you either get water or you get a fate. I imagine that's going to be the second use, not the first use. Yeah. I think there's definitely potential here. Now, all that has done is... I guess it's not all it's done. The the main thing that that's done is essentially give you a free attachment that gives you plus one. Plus one political. Because you've spent a fate and then you get the fate back that you grab off the ring. Now, the, the reason why that's not all it does. Now that that fate is not there for your opponent to grab, you are hopefully going to play this on a character who already has a fate on them, so you'll be able to u- use it to move move more than once. So it's not really a high impact. The fact that you, like on an immediate basis, 
all you're doing is getting back the faith that you just spent lessens its impact. Yeah. So, Lion, we have our other Imperial District card for a clan. Political conflicts cannot be declared against this province. I hate this card so much. <laughs> I, I don't think I have words for how much I hate. No, it, it's a decent card. It's fine. It's one per deck. It's good. There's, you know, it's one per deck. There's also going to be a lot of times where it flips out and you flips out into a province that's already broken. It's fine. I think it's good. It's something the lion probably really want. It's limit one protect means it's definitely not overpowered. Yeah, but it's a good card. Yeah, I mean, they can play around it, but it gives them yet another thing that they have to plan around. Right. You know, you you can't be like, oh, well, there's the meditations of the Tao there, and so fine. Now, now that my Hitaru is down to no fate, I can finally break this. Oh. Well, and as much as, like, the crane and the scorpion do mostly uh, emphasize political, it's not like they can't do a military challenge, but even then, it's plus one strength against it. Crane and scorpion do military challenges all the time. Both clans have plenty of military. Right. But, but yeah, they do have more politics. And it just, even if you have even amounts, it, it messes up the you know the possibilities of what order you can do the attack and when you can do it where and or it might just be useless because it shows up in a broke province right uh, so then uh gifted tactician two one for two and draws a card whenever he wins a military conflict i already hate this card. <laughs> i do like card draw it does have to it doesn't even have to break it just has to win it doesn't even have to be on attack it, yes, it doesn't have to be attacking, it doesn't have to break, it doesn't have to be military, <laughs> but, you know, you're more likely to... I like him. He kind of helps you out both ways, like any of those times, like we were talking, you you sometimes have those attacks, you're like, well, I'm not taking, I'm not winning, but my opponent doesn't really get anything if they take the ring, it just contributes to the Imperial favor. Well, Gifted Tactician, now if you invest in another card to win, you're going to get it back. Yeah, well, and he's Bushu, which obviously you want, and I would bet Commander, with his other keyword, is going to have something eventually around it. Yeah, something at some point. Now, we get to, is this, is Akoma Ujiaki really the first of the five costers that we've gotten to? Yeah. I guess so. So, three five for five, so solid stats to go with his five, I mean, not clan champion level stats. Well, actually, I guess that's Phoenix clan champion level stats. Two less glory. They're just the raw the raw numbers. Yeah. You're not you cost the same as a clan champion. You're almost as statted as a clan champion. Now the ability's conditional in that you have to have the Imperial favor, but it is bonkers. Yep. It, it's crazy. Oh look, here's your actual clan champion. I do still think that Tatori is good. He has that issue where he he has to be attacking. But right. I, I so how I don't, I don't know what the right answer is for how many five cost characters you can run in a deck. So you know, and I, obviously I could completely com- be completely off base with this. I think Crane like running Hodoru, and then our next big five coster is another big pile of political stats. This is an opposite stat. That the, I mean, it's not like Lion have no politics, but this is rarer for them to get, even if it's not as big of a stat. And then his ability is crazy good. If I were going to make a... 
I would probably either go two and two or even two of this guy and one of Tatori. Like, I feel like he's actually more valuable to see than Tatori a lot of times. Yeah, I want to say, like, of course he's going to be played. The only... his You do have to have the favor, though. Yes. So half the time, he does not have an ability. But when he does have an ability, it's ridiculous. I, I don't think it's that hard for the Lion. I mean, they do actually have quite a... Not a ton of glory, but they do have some glory. So even if it's just, I let you take that province, now I get the Imperial favor, I think a lot of times we'll be okay with that. Especially if this guy's going to be flipping out eventually. Yeah, well, and he's not the only thing that cares about having the favor. Right. So, conflict side. So, the Lion get time for war. This is Seeker only. They are not a Seeker. So... It has to be taken by Crane, Scorpion, or uh, Dragon. You have to have lost... It triggers on losing a political conflict, which makes it not exactly exciting for Crane and Scorpion. And even Dragon are balanced. So, you know, Unicorn can't use it. Lion can't use it. The clans that have the political weaknesses. All that it does is put a weapon attachment into play from your discard pile, which means that most of the time it's going to be what, like, I reattach my fine katana? I'm going to put this card in the discard pile, by which I mean the trash. <laughs> to play this, there you need to be playing with a better, higher-cost weapon. And Crab have one, doesn't get played, and they can't use this card anyway. And it's not like another clan can both use the crab and the lion one. So really, its best target is then the Kamayari, which is also for lion, and we also have. So that's like the the Jade Tetsubo. This is another two-cost, three military skill attachment. So like this... This is the target. Like the best... Right. I mean, like the best potency for time of war is to splash lion... And I guess it would probably be for Dragon to Splash Lion and play with three copies of the Kamayari and three copies of Time of War. And that's your entire... I mean, you've got like one influence left, so you get a, I don't know, ready for battle or something. Even thinking for... It's not like there's nothing for the other clans. I mean, for Crane, you could get now Kikita Blade. If for Scorpion, you could get the Court Mask. But I don't think you're splashing Lion for that. Uh, no, and especially given that that nets you a fate, kind of. I mean, like you're you're not getting a a free attachment; you're getting a one cost attachment back, and right. and given all the conditions on it, I mean, it would be one thing if oh. it was just zero fish a weapon out of your discard pile, right? And you can't get court mask. Court mask isn't uh, a weapon, and you can't get court oh, fan because right. fan's not a weapon. Oh, did I say fan? No, no, uh, no. I, that was the other thing I was thinking of. But you can't get that either. It has to be You're right, yeah. The, yeah the, correct, the court mouse. But it, it can get the blade. But yes. who cares? You're right. not going to splash no. for this. <laughs> so the Kamayari... Now, I... I mean, it's expensive, sure. So you're paying, as compared to, say, a fine katana, you're paying two more. You're getting one extra skill out of this. But the big thing is that you're getting this... The reaction, which says that your opponent cannot trigger abilities during this conflict cannot trigger abilities on their characters. The only time this doesn't work is if the character is already bowed for some reason. 
which obviously is going to be way more niche. Like, I, th- I think this is worth it, though, because it would I pay one for that ability? Probably because it's any kind of card. Effect. Well, it does have to be attached to a character, though. Like, it has to be coming from a character. It, it's a character ability that triggers, not some other thing. But there's a lot of. So wait, so if you have an if you have an attachment, that's not character triggering an ability, is it? It has to be put on the character. Yeah, there's no performing anymore like right. in classic L5R. It has to be so. an ability that is printed on... Well, it would either be printed on the character or like one of the dragon things where it says attached character gets, you know, text. And the oh, text- Yakuni, were you going to copy somebody? Nope, you're bound now. Well, yes, yes. Yakuni is <laughs> probably not going to copy anybody. It it shuts down Shoju. It does not shut down... Hataru or Tatori, because that's past the point of anyone caring that they're bowed to use there, because it doesn't stop the ability from triggering. A lot of it is, uh, I mean, some of the big things you're not, if uh, this this character can't get pulled into a conflict, or uh, like it's painful if Joji Challenger tries to pull this character into a conflict. Well, yeah, but it would already have to be on that character. I think half of the bonus of this is it's just kind of a surprise, right? Like, you defend, and then you th- slap this on a guy, and it's like, okay, try to do something. You know, or, with your Doji Challenger. Well, yeah, with... Yeah, so you're going to win that defense. I mean, and... But then again, Doji Challenger, half the time, that's why you're pulling somebody in. Well, yes, but you'd pull somebody in with the Doji Challenger, and then the Doji Challenger would immediately get bowed. Right. But, but a lot of times, like, or at least for how I play with Doji Challenger... I don't think that's necessarily the best, like, my whatever, my thought experiment is not really the best, because I already have to have a dude, no one pl- slapping another two-cost guy on it. Now, I uh, get a challenger, it gets to move somebody in before she gets bad down. Sure, you win that defense, but, like, I've just taken out probably a lot of your cost of guys. Yeah, but it's potent. It, the way, it, I mean, there can be just a lot of little people that it shuts down. Yeah. And note that this character, your character with the Kamayari has to be participating, the thing that you bow down does not. So if they have a character at home who uses ability and ability, you get to bow them too. Yeah, does that matter for anything? Sure, that character can't, like, Oh, 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 oh. can't attack back or something. Right, no, no, you're right, yeah, because so they can't have Yukuni at home trigger his ability, but they can just wait for in-between. It's much more potent if they send a person with real skill into the battle than you bow that character. But right. if nobody's defending that has an ability, right? Because there are plenty of people who don't have abilities or who don't have abilities that they use during conflict. I, I guess I, I don't think there's too many that do that that don't bow. But I guess like the young rumor monger, right? Like if you're, I'm going to dishonor somebody and you're like, nope, somebody else does. Okay, well, now I get to trip up your rumor monger wherever they are. Well, yeah, well, you, you've got lots of little things where it's, yeah, it's when when there's a conflict going on, yeah, the young rumor monger is not going to be, or has a much harder time, much more painful time redirecting status tokens. If your opponent, well, I guess your opponent probably isn't going to be trying to this card is probably not going to be in a political conflict where your opponent's trying to take your last one, but like, I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm the ones that are coming to my mind for whatever reason are are like the crane and scorpion abilities that uh, steal honor, but those are only in political. Uh, you know what? You know what? This is actually probably quite a good counter to actually is the scorpion clan champ. Yes, that he's he's one of the best. 
I mean, your guy's probably also dying, but, you know, who knows? Because it's not going to stop him from touring that second time. But anyways. Yes. It shuts down the the three or seven that they were getting, but they do, uh, yeah, they do the thing. Okay, so that's it for Lion. I mean, that's, yeah, that's just, that's just, yeah, it's just, you just got to overcome the two cost thing and the fact that you're, crab opponent can steal it and your scorpion opponent can steal it and anybody can let it go and, right. and all of that stuff yep so the phoenix get the magnificent lighthouse it lights the way to them being broken <laughs> this card just seems bonkers to me it's not even limited to one it is not limited to one i mean it lets you filter the top of your opponent's deck well, yeah, and it it mills them, which can actually be, like, relevant in this game. Eh, I'm less concerned about that, but... I mean, it, it, it is, it is, it's it's a thing. I mean, uh, I mean, half the reason why I really have never had a problem running uh, Perfect Gift is there's always a bad card in three to four cards. Or, like, a, a less than ideal card in, in three to four cards. And especially if I can knock out, okay, you're just not going to get to see your assassination you know, one of your two assassinations, one's in the discard and one's on the bottom of your deck. I think it's it's solid, especially since, again, right, oh, Chris Chris loves attached, Chris loves holdings. I don't think it's as good as the holding they already have. I would say it's pretty close because this is a plus two province strength. I think that the difference in abilities is more, I mean, it's it's a this is a good ability, but it's not draw a card. I don't know. There's times where drawing a card's not going to be as good as you making sure they don't have a card and knowing what one of the cards they have in their hand is. It also tells you what the next card they're going to draw is. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's not like this is absolutely bust or whatever, but it just seems really strong to me. Like, I if I was building Phoenix, I'd probably do, like, three of their other holding, like, maybe two of this holding and one of the, like, draw or move guys. Or maybe just three of each. Yeah, it's not like you have to choose between them. Uh, you're, I mean, if if you're Phoenix, I would think you're probably choosing how many neutrals you'd want to run on top of this. There's, there's a, a to some extent, I mean, these are these are sort of competing with the neutral holdings. They're competing with the neutral holdings in a downside sense, in that they all contribute you to having the possibility of a terrible flop. Right. They aren't competing in a sense because these ones, like, to really maximize. The clan holdings, you need them to stick around in the province. The other ones are one-shots, right? Your objective right. with Imperial Storehouse and Favorable Ground is to flip it, use it. So it costs you the, the flop that turn, but it doesn't just sit there clogging it up. I mean, if you have a Magnificent Lighthouse in one province and a Library in another province... You're going to be discarding one You're probably going to be discarding Magnificent Lighthouse, probably. Yeah, I mean, you're, something's going to have to get chucked. Well, yes, and because right. the card draw is more valuable. And this also is plus two. It's a great card. Like, it's definitely going to get played. Yeah. Yeah. So, the other Dynasty card, and I... But they do have Isawa Cade, who I hear is pretty good. Yeah, it seems that way. If you think about, like, what are what are weaknesses of characters that have... Fat characters that have five cost. Oh, you can strip their void off with Ring of the Void. Nope. Or you can bow them down. You can use Ring of the Fire to nuke their prop, their to nuke their stats. Nope. <laughs> yeah. 
oh, you ran out of fate, I'll use a ring of water to bow down your, your big character so they don't get their last turn. Nope. And it's only the opponent's ring effects. You can, of course, straighten her or her. increase her or, or, or honor her. I, I mean, she is your, after your clan champion, right? She's your second biggest target. She is the second biggest target for all of those things, and she's immune to them. And she gets the void ring in, in addi- effect in addition to whatever she's attacking on. Right, and it's not a choose, it's a you get both. Yes. Yeah, just don't attack with her in a void ring attack, because that would right. be a waste. Or defend with her. I guess she she sort of says you're going to feel really bad if you have to defend with me, but whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. So, okay, she's going to get played. Oh, yeah. All right. As she should. Yes. So, in the conflict side, we have Embrace the Void. This You do actually have to have a Shugenja, so some of the spells you don't. This one you do. And it you put it on the character, and whenever that character would lose fate, it goes to your fate pool instead of to nowhere land. So I guess the sort of generic thing you do with this is I take a character, I buy them, I put two fate on them, and then I slap Embrace the Void, and as their fate goes away, I get it back. If you've got two fate on a character, that seems like it's probably worth it. I don't know if that's worth a slot in your conflict deck but if you had a card that was i I paid zero get two feet one this turn one next turn that seems like you'd play it yeah i guess this is never zero gain of fate it's zero gain of fate at the end of the turn and this can't even this can't even be voided off right because if they do ring a void it's still being removed from the character so it's still going to go back to you yes anything that if if the fate is going to be moved from like one character to another Embrace the Void will still interrupt it. Yeah. And pull it back to your fool. I mean, I guess... I guess the downside on Ring of the Void, the, like the the negative on the Ring of the Void interaction, is that it, because it's an, an, an interrupt, if you put that character, put Two Fate on them, put Embrace the Void, your opponent strips one of them off with Ring of the Void. Uh, with Ring of the Void, you can't Embrace the Void the second one. Right. So you would only net the one off of it. So the Ring of the Void would still accomplish something but i i mean i think this is going to get played there's there's the cutesiness with the dragon character who can potentially add fate onto himself and thus provide a perpetual source for embrace the void but i have assembled exodia and now i lose (laughs) yeah well especially since it eats up playing with a a playset of these would eat up six influence and you have to make sure you have enough shugenja in your deck to run it that's yeah. another limitation. I mean, especially since even if you're like I'm bothering to run Shugenja, you're then you're still competing with competing with Cloud the Mind. But I think it's a solid play just the I put it on my character with two fate. Yep. We have Harmonize, which oh my gosh, they can actually use their card. This is this is not one of the conflict cards that has to go out. This card seems bad. It just it has too many restrictions at a cost. So yeah, it only works on defense. It costs something. That's, I I mean I think what you're aiming for I guess is the I have a I have a three cost character. You have a three cost character that you like have an attachment and played a bonsai on, or, or you move your character home who's already bowed. Right. I guess that's true. 
the weakness of it is that well both of the characters just went home and so your opponent if your char- if your opponent's character is that much better than yours then they're still going to be available to attack but it does clear out temporary bonuses and i mean it also just shuts down your opponent's attack it, you right. know to some extent it's like one and there are going to be situations where you just since it just moves them home your opponent attacks with one character you defend with one character you pay you have one cancel the battle done yeah no and now you get to attack and they have to defend with their character a lot of times everybody's characters are still there it's not like everybody bowed and went home but and of course if, if it's the last if it's the last conflict of the turn that it is just shut everything down so it has restrictions, but it also has a lot of potency to it. I mean, you at some point have to figure out how much fate you can afford, but I guess Embrace the Void could help with that. Well, and I, I guess, you know, I, I kind of dismissed this initially, but I guess cost is not going to fluctuate, which is a problem with a lot of the other move home, is the stuff that you're going to target fluctuates. So a lot of times there's a timing window that causes an issue, and if your guys equal out, right? Like, your big guy is there with their big guy, and then they slap an attachment, you pass, slap an attachment, and they're now taking province, now I harmonize. That seems pretty good. Yeah, it's got some real, real possibility, and the fact that you have to have an opponent, a character there is a cost, but in some ways, the fact that your character goes home is not a cost. Right. It's a bonus. Because you're defending, we're, all right, we're likely talking about a situation where each of you just has the one character. So by moving your character home, what you're doing is saving them from getting bowed. Well, I mean, the second best ability after Harpoon is probably self-move home. Yeah, I mean, it would be more powerful if you got to choose, because you right. may want to hang... Like, it makes it not effective, not super effective for, oh, I wanted to, I wanted to hang out and keep on fighting, but... Well, you can't do something like... You know, they have a Kikita Challenger, they pull your other guy in, then they send their guy home with the holding. You can't then, they have no target for you to then use this to send your own guy home. Which is an outside case, but, you know, it does need a target. It does need an attacking target. Also in the one-cost conflict slot is Shrine Maiden. So the Shrine Maiden, presumably you're just paying her as I, playing her as I pay one, I take my reaction, I fade out, and nobody's. I'm not going to pay fade to keep her around. And so your your dream scenario with the Shrine Maiden is that you play her and draw three spells and laugh all the way to the bank? Yeah, I think the real ideal is probably draw two. Yeah. If you're playing Phoenix, you potentially could be running 21 spells. I'm not saying you're actually running 21 spells, but it could be half of your deck, so... If you're running that kind of spell load, you're going to average one and a half cards off of it. It's going to be pretty uncommon that you miss entirely. Right. Now, do you run all of those? You're running against the waves, definitely. I think. I mean, you have against the waves, cloud the mind, display of power, embrace the void, grasp of earth, know the world, and supernatural storm. And what, know the world is the only one that I look at and be like, eh, really? Well, I grasp the earth is a little eh to me as well, but it's playable. It, yeah, whereas I know the world is... Not that there isn't 
anything for it to do, but it's uh, I'm, I'm not enthused with it. So, if you were guaranteed to draw one, if this was just if she just said draw a card, that seems pretty decent. Dep- I think it depends on how many cards you'd want to see. It depends on how tight your deck is. If it's like, hey, I really want to help go through and see like combo pieces, yeah, then absolutely that would be something you'd play. But like a one for a one one is really not setting the world on fire, and you only get so many conflict characters in your conflict deck. So if you're worried about quality, a one for a one one monk who's probably not helping any of your synergies does not seem super great. It's okay. I mean, you yeah, you really want to hit big on it. You really want that I drop her and draw two cards. That's the kind of of excitement that you want to get there. Especially since half of the attachments cost fate that you just spent, or half of those spells, right? Against the waves, cloud the mind, display of power, grasp of earth, and if you're using it, know the world, all do cost fate, but uh, anyhow, could be good. So, if we go over to the scorpion, I think Bayushi Yojiro is the only dynasty character that they picked up, right? Yeah. The Honest Scorpion. This is a long-standing character, if you're uh, not all super familiar with classic L5R, and this was his thing, right? He was the Honest Scorpion. The one who was kind of sent off to interact with the Imperials and, you know, try to show them that not everybody, not every scorpion's a dirtball. And this is another, sort of, another one of those, like, oh, you have to think about game state and deck construction and whatnot. On the other hand, this is always going to, not always, always, but... Scorpion dishonor themselves a lot, and Yojiro just lets all of the other Scorpion, all of his Scorpion buddies, ignore the fact that they're dishonored. Well, right, but a lot of them don't care that they're dishonored. I know, but now they truly don't care. Also, <laughs> when they're fighting with him, none of them care. But he also gets to ignore all of that nonsense Ukraine are doing. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Hitaru, you're not a six nine. Yeah. He's got decent stats for his cost. Like, he does have the three. You know, I mean, 3-1 is a little under uh, on, on the lower end, but not by a lot for a three-cost character. The two glory is pretty funny. I guess if somebody throws um, Cloud the Mind on him. Yeah, I mean, he 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 has two glory. He If you honor him or dishonor him, it does not matter. At least in a conflict. Right. I mean, if it, if they're they're hanging off somewhere. On the other hand... I don't know if that's lighting the world on the fire. You really have to... I think you really have to think about him in terms of, like, what is the ability for me to ignore status tokens? And he's not a courtier, so it's not like you can forge the edict and, you know, throw the, the, the dishonor token on him and just have him charge into conflicts and not care. But... You, you can have him uh, pull an attachment off of somebody. He, he can call in favors. It is amazing how many favors I still owe to the Scorpion. <laughs> Every single time, this guy's like, wait a minute, you owe us a favor. Really? Do I? Do I? <laughs> but I think that there's real solid there. I mean, his his biggest drawback is that the Scorpion have such a potent personality lineup right now. 
or character lineup. You know, he's got to compete with a lot. I feel like he's mostly a counter to people who honor themselves. I I don't know. I, I feel like that doesn't make him playable. No. Because that's not enough. I mean, I he, he's got to be at least... He has to be solid enough even when your opponent isn't Crane. <laughs> okay, so for this, do I want this guy? Or for the same costume, same stat line, do I want somebody who has Covert? The Covert character is stronger, but, I mean, they're not even in the same deck. Right, true. But, yeah, the same cost. They are the same cost, and the Covert character is better. Because Covert is really good. Yeah. So, speaking of Scorpion Conflict characters... Oh, no, wait, first we have to say they have a seal, I don't care. <laughs> so then then the Scorpion Conflict characters... Meek Informant... This character does so little and yet so very much. It really does. There are a lot of games where looking at your opponent's hand is kind of a trivial ability. Like, you can have cards that just be like, your opponent has to play with their hand face up, and they're irrelevant. But but like just like with Katsuki Investigator, I mean, obviously you're, you're paying that fate because you get to, to strip a card, but it can be very strong to be able to look at your opponent's hand and be like, they have one thing that they could use to mess me up in this conflict and, or in my next conflict, and this is what it is. All right, they've got a grip full of stuff that only works in political, or they've got a grip full of stuff that costs fate and they don't have any left. And uh, it lets me know that, oh, they actually have assassinations in hand, so I need to not bring in my two-cost guys for, you know, a couple turns, or, or, or they have a cancel, so... I need to wait to play my assassination, try and beat it out with something else, maybe. Uh, with that said, it's also a card and a fate to basically do just that. Just look at your opponent's hand. Yep. And those are real costs. Is it weird that if this was a dash dash glory one, I'd like this a lot better? Because then you could play it, get to see their hand, and have somebody to help you take the Imperial favor. <laughs> I honestly think that would be a better use of this character. That's funny. I don't know. Or even a zero one. Although I think, like I said, I think she could probably just be a dash dash one, and I'd be good. I guess it wouldn't really make sense for some for some ninja spot to have one glory, but still. Well, this is literally a peasant. I mean, yeah, flavor-wise, this character really should not have glory. So finally, uh, for the Scorpion, we have Smoke and Mirrors. Pay one, move all your ninja home. Or not. I guess not move all of your ninja home. Move a chosen portion of your ninja home. Some, all, whatever. So I like move home, but this costs fate. It should have cost zero. If this costs zero, I could see... Even then... Well, there's there's probably some danger somewhere in there with, like, the I attack with two shinobi to break your province. Your choices are either let me have it or defend, and I just suck them all back home. Right. Oh, what was it? What, was it Knife in the Darkness that was always the pain in the butt with the shinobis in the old game? It, yeah, but it, it's so hard to compare. No, no, it, it is. Some uh, things, but... but but I mean it's still kind of a, a similar thing, right? It lets you overcommit and then bring back your home. But I don't know, like the good shinobi characters a lot well, I guess the one already bounces anyways. And I, it, they don't have a ton of shinobis right now. 
No, no. I I feel like this... For this to have oomph, you have to be really yanking multiple people back, and I just don't think that's workable right now for them. No. Uh, on a consistent basis for Shinobi. Okay, so Unicorn. Unicorn finally get a holding the windswept yurt. I think this one's pretty good. Yeah. It's the sort of the false false symmetry. Like it's it's always going to be. It's only going to be deployed at a time when it benefits me. Well, I will. Yes. Well, and I also think that. Right. I, I think most of the time. Well, actually. So I think this is one of the first unicorn cards that's actually better when you're not going first. <laughs> well, because right, they're going to have to have their two conflicts done, and then you can pop this, get two fate, put a person into play, and then attack your second attack. Yeah. Well, you could even use it during Dynasty. Oh, true. If your opponent is going first, right, they buy a character, you buy a character, they buy a character. Like, they're, they might be done at that point. They're going to be passed and get the extra fate. So you, you buy your second character, they pass, they get their extra fate, you pop the yurt. They get the fate, but you get to use the fate knowing that you're, like, going to be able to, to bring out another dynasty buy, and you even get to, and, the, and it refills the province. This is the first, I think this, this is the first holding we've seen that refills the province when you use it. Oh, yeah, it. I completely forgot it did that. Think how big a deal it is just adding two more honor onto your side when you're playing against Scorpion or Crab or somebody else who's draining you down like that. It also opens up the possibility, however improbable, of massive honor swings to try to honor Rocket. I mean, it is theoretically possible to like go Windswept Yurt into Windswept Yurt into Windswept Yurt. And if you combine that with the card that hasn't come out yet that doubles your honor gain, I mean, hey, poof, it's theoretically possible that you just gained 14 in a turn. That's the most ridiculous scenario that will never happen, but if some sort of honor deck comes together for the unicorn, the fact that you're gaining two honor may be far more important than the fact that your opponent is gaining two honor. Yeah. And again, it's it's your ability to control when it does its thing. Uh, yeah, but I, th- I think fate is obviously what it's going to be used for, unless, unless this is just stopping you from dishonoring out. Uh... Well, initially, I, I'm not saying that we'll never get used for that ability, but I think initially it's only going to be... I fate. think it depends. I mean, it also gives you the ability to... I mean, it, even if you're playing against Crab, you're going to use it for honor. If you're playing against Scorpion, you're going to use it for honor. If you're playing against another clan, it also just gives you the ability to be a bit more aggressive with your bidding. Because you can just end up low against anybody. It's true. And so this can can bring you back, like knowing that if okay, well my opponent has fourteen honor, it doesn't really matter if they go to sixteen because there's still no threat to get to twenty five. But when I'm at six, going up to eight is pretty relevant. It might be easier to have a lack of symmetry on the honor side, an exploitable lack of symmetry on the honor side than the fate side. But yeah, regardless that. Would should just slide right into their decks. So, I guess going going back to my little uh, this little sub theme of uh, along with like the Stoic Magistrate, we have the Swift Magistrate. I sense a, a theme here, not not just a mechanical theme, but a thematic theme. So the Stoic Magistrate says cheap characters can't participate. The Swift Magistrate says that characters with fate. Don't get to add their skills. Yep. And it's only when this character is attacking. 
And of course, the Swift Magistrate, because its ability only applies to other characters, can hang around with Fate on it for a few turns to vex your opponent. But, you know, again, there, there can be big timing things here. Yes. The simple thing is that, well, your opponent's good characters, who are the ones they're more likely to put Fate on, can't defend. But, you know, if you... If you're at a situation where you're you've got a big character who's down to no fate on them, and your opponent has characters that they're bringing out that do have fate on them, well, your swift magistrate can team up with your character that is about to fade out, and it's a cutesy thing, and it affects your own characters too. But there's there's a lot of of play to mess with there. You know, and I hadn't even think about, like, all of the magistrates do this, right? They all have an effect that affects everybody because they are magistrates. Because even the uh, magistrate in the Corsic, the uh, crane magistrate, the conflict guy, he says nobody gets to get dishonored. Yeah. Steward of law? Yeah, steward of law. Yeah. That's actually kind of cool. I, I had not noticed that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, It's, of course... As as with all things, yeah, it's like, well, we you we play it in a way that <laughs> that benefits you. Like for some odd reason, right. every time the steward of law shows up, three seconds later, somebody's going for shame. <laughs> <laughs> so the unicorn's third third dynasty card. They're uh they're on the dynasty side here. Is Ide Tadaje, who uh, is a daimyo but not a five coster. So one four for four. So you've got you've got beefy in the thing that you're doing, but you're not going to be really doing military. You have to be moving a ready character in from your opponent and a ready character in from you. Yeah, I, I don't I don't get it. It pulls their character in, sure. But it also makes it also forces you to expend another character. You're presumably trying to you're you're presumably doing that in a way that advantages you. Right, like your guy's already bowed and they have somebody who's unbowed. Oh no, no each has to be ready. Your character yeah, your character has to be ready. So it could be like I pull in my character who has politics and you pull and I pull in your character who's a military powerhouse. Or or but, dash. I mean, not that there are many of those, but Yeah, I'm not it. The Akoma Daimyo, it is not. No. Last up, we have the Shinjo Saddle. I don't know where exactly this ends up in the the power spectrum, but I do like this one. It's yet another variation on things like Guidance of the Ancestors and the Ancestral Keyword. You pay one, you get this attachment down, and then if it isn't directly blown up, you probably get to have it hang out forever. Well, right, and unlike Ancestral, uh, you don't even have to keep repaying for it. You just have to make sure you have a cavalry target each turn. Yes, you need to have, near the end of the turn, you need to have a cavalry character who's got a fate on them, or else you're not going to have someone to move it to that's relevant. You do get to use it twice a turn as well, but that's an attack and a defense. Yes, that's right. You don't have to wait until the end of the turn. You can have it on your your character from the old one. I mean, you have to, uh, yeah, you have to start messing with your timing. Well, first I have to attack with the one that already faded a bit, but that's good because I I think that province might be Meditations of the Tao. Right. I don't know. So I think that that is playable. I don't think that you're ever going to wow the world with a one 
just the one military skill attachment, but but being able to just keep it around in perpetuity without any further investment. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, I do think it is pretty highly replaceable, though, if the conflict deck starts getting uh, stacked. It, it, yeah, I mean, and the conflict decks are... They're not far off from it now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's harder to find duds in the conflict decks these days, but... So that is way too long spent on every single card in Tears of Amaterasu and For Honor and Glory. We'll have yet another Dynasty pack come out this week. I have to say, when I was forming my opinions on the release schedule, I was not contemplating the effect that they were going to have on podcasting. (laughs) I really was not. But before we get to that, the next episode you're going to hear is going to be the one about packs unplugged. And then I I don't actually know for sure if uh, another Dynasty pack will immediately follow, but hey, we'll find out. We can all learn together. Turns out I don't usually have planned out the content for like three episodes ahead. So, Yeah. All right, so you have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming and Legend of the Five Rings podcast. You can... Find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there in the Apple Podcasts app, in the Google Play Music Store, or any sort of pod-catching service you happen to use. Heck, if you use a pod-catching service where Strange Assembly doesn't show up and I need to go tell them that we exist, please let me know. You can let me know. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com if you want to directly email me. We're also at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. I always like to, to hear from you guys, so feel free to fire up those communication channels. But until then, for Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. <laughs>